Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. So through through the summer, we've, uh, for the first time, maybe ever, not been in a series, you know, where we're sort of tracking along with the same theme or book of the Bible for several weeks in a row. Uh, and instead, Matt just offered us the opportunity to be able to talk about what God has been teaching us, what we feel like God wants from his people, what he wants for his people. And uh, when I was offered this opportunity to, to preach today, Matt just said, just talk about what God is teaching you. And the thing that God has been teaching me this year, more than ever before, is the beauty and the power of his word. Right now, we have 66 women who are reading through the Bible together through the Bible recap. And so starting January 1st, um, we have started in Genesis and then chronologically are walking through the Bible. And as I've read and my eyes have been opened to things that I had read before but not seen, I mean, have you, you, know, you know God's word is living and active. And sometimes it's there on the page and we've read it before, but we didn't see it before or know it before. And this year, um, as I've read and, and as I've learned more about how the Bible was written and who it was written by and to whom it was written, uh, one thing that I've learned in sort of a phrase that I hear over and over in my mind is that the Bible is, is wisdom literature. The way that these Hebrew writers wrote wasn't just to tell you a story or to give you a prescription of how to live your life, but it was to teach you how to think, how to discern, how to know and be able to differentiate between good and evil, to know right from wrong, to know what path to walk. And you can't just read it with your eyes on the page. You have to think about it and meditate on it. That the Bible is designed not just for you to read for 15 minutes in the morning and then close it and then go live your life as you always have, but it's meant to be read and then thought about, processed through, spoken about with other people. And so as I've been meditating on this, there's been one thing that I continue to come back to. One is that the law of Moses, the, the, pen, the, uh, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, is so rich. Places that where typically Bible reading plans go to die, like the book of Leviticus, is beautiful. And I've never thought that before. And so if you're looking at me and you're like, yeah, okay, Jasmine, whatever. Uh, just, I promise, there's good and gold there. But there was so much that God provided for the people of Israel and set them up for in the future, things that while they were in the desert after being rescued out of slavery in Egypt, uh, that they would not see realized for decades or even centuries to come. And one of those things was that God knew that one day 
the nation of Israel, once they entered into the promised land, that they would look around and they would see that all of these other nations around them had a king. And Israel was not set up to have a king. It was set up to be a theocracy where God ruled over his people and that the people looked to God. But, but God knew in his sovereignty that, that people would want a king, that they would want someone who they could physically put their eyes on and see and know that king is going to make sure that we are safe. That king is going to make sure that we have what we need. And so God then said, okay, there are some things that you need to know. If you're gonna have a king, there's gonna be some commands. There's, there's a way that I want this king and these kings to live so that they can lead you and serve you in the way that I want them to lead and serve and judge this people. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God lays out through Moses all of these different uh, criteria for what he wanted of a king. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17. We'll be there for just a heartbeat, and then we're gonna be in 1 Kings. But I want you to look at this. If you don't have it uh, in a physical Bible, you can always look at it on your phone. The notes feature on the app also has it in there, and it's gonna be on your screen. I'm gonna read to you from here. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 17, starting in verse 14. It says, when you enter the land your, the Lord your God has given you, take possession of it, live in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. You are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. You are not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. However, he must not acquire many horses for himself. I know that sounds funny to us. But he should not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. He must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He is to rem it is to remain with him and he is to read from it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command from the right or the left. And he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. So God laid out some very specific things that he expected and commanded of a king who would reign over Israel, that he would not gather, he would not collect horses because horses were like, that's their military, okay? That's their, their power, their might, that he's not supposed to uh, have a lot of wives and love and attach himself to something other than God. 
that he's not supposed to acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself, wealth, security to know I have what I need. And instead of doing these things, he was supposed to write a copy of the instruction of the Lord. And not just these few verses. When it says the instruction of the Lord, it meant the whole Torah, the first five books of the Bible, that the king was supposed to make a copy. He was gonna spend his time writing a copy in the presence of the Levitical priest, writing a copy that this is what the Lord has done for us. This is where we came from. This is what I want to remember and teach about God. These are the commands. This is the way that we are supposed to live our lives. That is what a king was supposed to do so that his heart would not be elevated above his countrymen, but so that he could lead and serve them well. Well, this does happen. The nation of Israel takes the promised land and before long, they want to have a king just like the other nations. And so God appoints King Saul and then after him, King David. And then King David has a son named Solomon, the third king of the nation of Israel. Now, Solomon is known all throughout the earth, whether you know the Bible or not, as being the most what? The most, you can talk to me, it's fine. Wise, right? The most wise man, the wisest person to ever live. That we know that story that God, you know, asked, Mo, or asked Solomon what he wants, he asked for wisdom. And we know this legacy. We read, we read Proverbs. We read all of these Proverbs that he wrote down. And there are many more that he recorded that we, we don't even have in the book of Proverbs. He judged righteously and with discernment to know the difference between good and evil. And that was a gift from the Lord. And I want us to read about that. So if you will turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. We're gonna talk about what Solomon asked of God. First Kings chapter three, starting in verse one, says Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter, which we're already like, wait, what are we doing with Egypt again? We'll get to there in a minute. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace the Lord's temple, and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father, David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So let me unpack a little bit of this for you because it's, it might be a little foreign. So Solomon made an alliance with the king of Egypt by marrying his daughter. So basically this was like saying, I'm gonna leave you alone, you're gonna leave me alone because I'm gonna marry your daughter. He brings her to the promised land, he brings her to Jerusalem and there he, uh, He's gonna build a temple for the Lord because that's what God had promised David that his son would get to build a temple, a permanent place for the Lord to put his name. And he then goes up 
to, to sacrifice on the high places. So the high places were places in the mountains that people would go to worship. Now, people of all nations who worshiped all kinds of gods, that's where they would go to sacrifice. Even people who worshiped Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, would go to the high places to worship because there was just this one tabernacle, this one tent, this one place, and not everybody could always get there to offer their sacrifices. So they were like, yeah, I can't really make it to the tabernacle. So I'm going to go up on this high place to offer. But there's also people up there worshiping other gods. And so Solomon even goes up to the high place to worship. Now, there was a high place uh, called Gibeon where Solomon goes up and out of zeal for the Lord, for Yahweh, the God of of, Israel, Israel, he sacrifices a thousand bulls. A thou, there's a thousand cattle or bulls and he sacrifices them to the Lord. And after that, he falls asleep. And in his sleep, God comes to him and he says, Solomon, ask of me and I'll give it to you. And this was Solomon's response. This is First Kings, still in chapter three, verse eight. Solomon says, your servant, that's me, not me, Solomon, your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart or a hearing heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Solomon, in humility, asked for the ability to be able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, in the Hebrew, tov and ra. You know this same phrase from Genesis chapter two, when, chapter three, when God says, don't take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, don't take it because then you will surely die. Solomon doesn't take it, but he asks for it. He says, God, will you give me the knowledge, the ability to be able to discern between good and evil? And because Solomon asked and did not take, it delighted the Lord. And he was pleased with his response. And he said, oh, yes, 
yes, I will give this to you. And I'm gonna give you everything that you did not ask for. All of those things you could have asked for and did not. And I'm going to bless you richly. Just follow me, obey my commands, which he should have known because as the king, remember he was supposed to write all of the, all of the Torah, all of the instruction of God. But this is not what happens. Now, Solomon starts out asking for the knowledge of good and evil, and he judges righteously. You know the story about Solomon and the two women who come with the baby, and he says, well, cut the baby in half. And the real mom was like, no, 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 give it to the other lady. Solomon was so wise, and people would come from all over the world just to sit and listen to Solomon's wisdom. Solomon had peace throughout his reign. There were no major wars during that time. God gave Solomon the the responsibility and task and pleasure of overseeing the building of his temple, a permanent structure where they could, the people of Israel could come and could worship. And so after seven years, the temple was finished. And all of the people of Israel come and Solomon prays this beautiful prayer and saying, saying, Yahweh, whenever the people turn their face to this place and they cry out to you, hear their prayer. Lord, I know that you are gracious. I know that you will hear us. And then he blesses the people and he says, follow God with your whole heart. Follow him wholeheartedly. And then the people rejoice and they celebrate for two whole weeks just in the joy and in the presence of the Lord. And then after the people went home, God appeared to Solomon again, a second time. And he says this to Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter nine, verse one, he says, It says, when Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace and all that Solomon desired to do, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, just as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and petition you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple that you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, If you walk before me as your father David walked with a heart of integrity and in what is right, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised your father David, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. If you or your sons turn away from me, away from following me and do not keep my commands, my statutes that I have set before you. And if you go and serve other gods and bow in worship to them, I will cut off Israel from the land I gave them. And I will reject the temple that I have sanctified for for my name. Israel will become an object of scorn and ridicule among the peoples. He says, Solomon, I am going to answer that prayer. That thing that you just prayed over over this temple, over the nation, I will set my eyes and my heart here and I will hear my people from this place. But if you 
or your sons do not follow me in my commands and your heart turns toward other gods, I'm gonna tear this temple down. This is, this is just a pile of bricks. If it does not mean that your heart is wholly following me. Well, we mentioned earlier that Solomon had married Pharaoh's daughter from Egypt. And in this marrying the daughter of Pharaoh, he kind of hits a snag. And he actually hits a lot of snags, but this is sort of the one snag that we see Solomon actually do something about. Because what you have is, is, is you see Solomon who builds this temple, Solomon who is zealous for God, but also Solomon who marries Pharaoh's daughter. And so he kind of comes to a place where he's like, yeah, this isn't, something's not, this isn't right. This doesn't, this is not, this is not right. And here's what, for, uh, Second Chronicles talks uh, about this. He says, uh, 2 Chronicles 8, 11. It says, Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh from the city of David to the house he had built for her. For he said, my wife must not live in the house of King David of Israel because the places the ark of the Lord has come into are holy. So you have Pharaoh's daughter who worships idols, who comes from Egypt where this people was enslaved, living in the same house where the Ark of the Covenant now was, living in the same vicinity where the presence of God was, this holy place. And so Solomon felt this dissonance. Dissonance means when two things rub up against each other and it's like, yeah, this can't, it can't live. It's like conflict. He felt this dissonance between these two things. And so Solomon's answer to that was, well, I'll just build another palace for her away from the temple and that'll, that'll take care of it. Because then she won't be near the holy things and, and it'll be okay. But the problem wasn't that she was in David's house. The problem was that she was there at all. You see, when we come up against something, when we're standing in that presence of God, the holiness of God that we've been singing about all morning, we feel this, feel this dissonance, this, this thing that's like, oh, there's something here that doesn't belong. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm from a people of unclean lips. I cannot be in the presence of God in this condition. There was this dissonance that Solomon felt and the way he dealt with it was like, well, I'll just separate it. When we come up against things in our lives that rub up against, that create dissonance between who God is and who God is calling us to be and the common or profane or unholy or sinful parts of our lives, we have to deal with that dissonance. Last week, Matt Rhodes talked about how we have to address conflict, right? When we have interpersonal conflict, we can't just ignore it and turn to God and say, everything's fine. You are also going to come up against conflict in your spiritual lives. There's going to be a check in your spirit that says, oh, this, this doesn't 
belong here because God has put his name on me because I carry his name and his holy name into the world. This other thing that I carry in me is not simpatico with that. It's like, you can't, if you, you know, you, maybe you have a, a bad habit of bad language. And you know, I can't talk like that in church. And your answer is, well, I just won't cuss in church. I'll just do it when I'm with my other friends who cuss, right? We, we feel that dissonance, even in small things like that. Or, uh, you know, there are certain things maybe we wouldn't wear to church. I'm probably not gonna and I hope nobody else would, whatever, wear a bathing suit to church because it's not the place. It, it rubs up against it. It's like, oh, th- there's a, there's that, this is not the time. This is not the place. You have to deal with the dissonance that you come up against in your life. And Solomon, his way of dealing with it was just, just to say, well, I'll just, I'll separate it. And he thought that as long as she wasn't living in the place where the Ark of the Covenant had come into, that everything was gonna be okay. Solomon didn't see that the issue with himself, that he was the one who was set apart, blessed by God to rule and lead Israel in wisdom and in justice, that he being covenantally bonded to an Egyptian princess, he didn't see that as being the issue. This was not an issue of geography. This was an issue of obedience, of of disobedience. It was an issue of his heart being divided between two things that he loved. And for all his wisdom, he couldn't discern the depth of this dissonance, that the thing that he had done was in conflict with God's commands. Our spiritual formation happens in these places of dissonance. So I want you to pay attention. When you come up upon places in your life where you feel that check in your spirit, where you come up upon those places that that doesn't jive with who God is and who he's called you to be and what he has redeemed you for and saved you from, that you deal with those things. If you want to be formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others, that's not gonna happen if you only focus on the places that you're doing spiritually well and ignoring the places where you have some spiritual growth to do. It's like sandpaper. You use sandpaper so that you can smooth the rough edges. We use God's word and his heart and knowledge for us to smooth the rough edges of our lives. It's not always gonna be pleasant. But when you come up upon those places, I want you to rejoice because that's where you know, God, this is where you're trying to form me. God, this is, this is where you're trying to make me into more like you and this is not gonna be great for a little bit and this is gonna be hard, but I'm willing to deal with it. I'm willing to wrestle with you before you with this thing so that I can be more like you. Don't compartmentalize those places of dissonance. Don't just say like, okay, well, I just won't do that in front of God <laughs> because God knows everything. God sees and has formed your heart. It 
It goes on to say in chapter nine of 1 Kings, verse 25, it says, three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord. And he burnt incense with them in the Lord's presence. So he completed the temple. Solomon kept doing the things that he was supposed to be doing. Solomon kept going to the temple. He established the the feasts and the festivals for the people. He made sure that the Levitical priests were all ordered and were doing their jobs. He did his duty. And sometimes we can still act out of duty even when our heart is divided. And I want you to know that that's a neutral statement. That is not good or bad, it just is. And we know this, sometimes you just have to do what you have to do even when you don't feel like doing it. Even when your heart is divided, you show up in this place. You still come to church. Maybe your heart's not in it, but you still read your Bible. It's what you do when you realize, I am just showing up. I am doing this because this is my duty. It's what happens next, because here's the deal. We live in an age of authenticity when we are told that if we don't feel it, we shouldn't do it, right? Because we're being inauthentic then. That if you're coming here and you're sitting in here and you're just sort of going through the motions, that God is going to be displeased with that because it's inauthentic. Well, I would say to you that sometimes your faithful obedience will precede the fire that will continue to fuel your faith. That you have to step out, you have to say, okay, God, I'm gonna be obedient. I'm gonna keep doing the things that you have commanded me to do, even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to faithfully do this because I know that, I know that you are who you say you are. I'm gonna keep doing it, but then there's also a point We're doing something over and over and over and over again, just out of duty, will not sustain your spiritual walk with God, where you'll just be going through the motions and your heart will get harder and harder and harder. And here's the dangerous part about that. Nobody in here will know the difference. Nobody who's sitting beside you is going to know that you are going through the motions. You can come in here and you can do all the things. You can sing the songs and you can raise your hands and you can bring your Bible and you can underline the words. You can tithe. You can do all of these things and your heart not be in it. You can live one way in here and another way out there and most people in here wouldn't have a clue and you can pretend for a very long time. And usually what happens when we start to harden our heart this way, we also distance ourselves from people, from people who are going to point us back to God, the people who are going to help us to walk the path back to him, who, who aren't just gonna point us to the way, but are gonna walk alongside us to the way, 
back to the throne of God, back to opening his word together, back to believing that he is good, that, that you'll, you'll stop listening to those people. You'll stop seeking them out. And from an outside perspective, we won't know. That's the danger of a divided heart, that you can pretend it and you can live it that way for a long time, but, but God knows your heart. God knows who your allegiance is to. God knows when you're turning to him. And that's not to say like in a scary way, but kind of. God knows. God knows you. He made you. He formed you. And Solomon, he at some point stopped looking at God as his father, looking at God as his love, and just looking at him as somebody that he owes a few sacrifices to a few times a year. First Kings goes on to tell about all of the things that Solomon acquired. He acquired wealth beyond anything that we could imagine. That he had so much silver that it was like rocks. It was, it was worthless because there was so much silver, so much gold. He had so much gold that he had shields of gold made, 200 of them. He built a throne that was made of ivory and then overlaid with gold that sat high above the people. He acquired horses and chariots from Egypt and he acquired many wives. First Kings chapter 11, verse one says, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. To these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines. Oh my gosh, a thousand. And they turned his heart away. All of those things back in Deuteronomy 17 that God said kings should not, they cannot acquire horses or a lot of wealth or many wives Solomon did them all and did them to excess. It goes on. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Solomon followed Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And unlike his father, David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Shemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites on the hill across from Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. In my mind, I keep picturing the city of Jerusalem. And this is 
Jerusalem looking kind of from the Mount of Olives. And you can see in the distance a big dome. That's the Dome of the Rock. That's where Solomon's temple was. And so he would go from there down into the Kidron Valley and then back up to the Mount of Olives. This is the city or the hill across from Jerusalem, east of Jerusalem specifically. It was the Mount of Olives where he went and he built all of these high places for his wives and their gods. And he would walk this path past the temple of the Lord and to all of these places to worship all of these other gods. And in my mind, I just keep seeing this path. And I keep thinking about what paths we're walking. And in that valley, I see that's where the division is, where you get down to that point and you have to decide which way am I gonna go? Am I gonna go worship and bow down to the things of this world? Am I gonna go worship and bow down to the gods and the things that this world says is gonna save me, the things that are gonna protect me, the things that are gonna keep, keep me safe, the things that are gonna keep me happy, the things that are gonna keep me satisfied? Or am I gonna turn to the eternal king? Am I gonna go and bow down at his throne? And so in my mind, I just see Solomon walking this path. And you know, when you walk a path long enough, it beats back all of the bushes and the briars and all the vines, and there's a clear path. And the path that you walk the most is the easiest one to walk. And it's not surprising, and this is not about age, but it says that when Solomon was old, and I think old is a mentality, it's not an age. It's when you are tired, when you are weary, when you are exhausted, when you are scared, when you are weak, you will always choose the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance is the one that you've walked the most. And so what path are you walking? When you get down to that dividing point and you have a choice, the choice that you're gonna make is the one that you've walked the most. And so I want us to be people who are walking paths to God continually, that we are walking paths to the throne room of the most high, eternal, risen King forever that we've sang about all morning, that our hearts will choose Him now, God appeared to Solomon for a third time, and he was angry. It says the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods, but Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded. Then the Lord said to Solomon, since you have done this and did not keep my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant." However, I will not do it during your lifetime for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of your son's hand. Yet I will not tear the entire kingdom away from him. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I chose. And when Solomon heard this, his response was to try to go kill that other guy. He says Solomon went and tried to kill Jeroboam, who God was gonna give the other 10 tribes to. That was his response. It wasn't repentance. He didn't turn to God and say, God, please, no, please don't, I am wrong. Instead, he said, I will take care of this. God, do you think you can rip it from my hand? Absolutely not, I'm gonna go kill this guy. His heart had turned, had gone prideful. 
What happened? What happened to Solomon who's, who said, I, Solomon loved God and now he loved his wives. What happened? And as I meditated and I pondered on this, here's what I came to. Solomon loved God, but he did not fear God. He forgot the most basic principle of wisdom, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see, all the wisdom in this world is worthless if it isn't rooted in the fear of God. Love for God, but absent of the fear of God leads to a subtle, double life. We love God and we love to say, God, you are so good. You are so good to us. I love to sing your praise. But I do not fear you. I do not follow your commands because we do not believe or trust that God is and can do everything that he says that he can do. Because when you believe that, there's only one way you turn and that's to God every single time. When you believe and when you trust him, you will always turn to him as king. And all of those things that he laid out in Deuteronomy 17, there is a king who fulfilled all of those things and his name is Jesus. He did not seek wealth. When, when he had to pay the temple tax, he had Peter go get a couple of coins out of a fish's mouth. He didn't even have it in his pocket to give. He didn't collect horses. The couple of times that he rode on a donkey, he borrowed it. He did not have wives. His heart was fully and only attached to God. He did not exalt himself above his people. And in fact, he became a servant. He washed their feet. He became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. We have that King. God kept his promise that he made, that he said, Solomon, there's gonna be a King in your line on the throne of Israel forever. And there is indeed a king on that throne and he is there today. And he walked that same path in Jerusalem from the temple, from Solomon's temple that had been rebuilt up to the Mount of Olives, but not to go and worship other gods. He went up there to be with God the Father. He went up there to be in intimacy with him. He went up there to teach his disciples, to say, this is who you turn to. This is how you see how you're gonna know when it is time for me to return and take my bride. We have a good and loving God who reigns now. And you and me, we are here to turn our whole hearts to him, not to live a divided, double, subtle, life, but a whole, loud, big, open arm, loving life so that we can build this kingdom, so that we can inspire people to live and love like Jesus because he has us here in his hand and the earth is filled with his glory. And we get to y'all one more time for just a few minutes, we get to sing his praise. We get to stand in awe of his glory. And I hope that as you leave this place today, that you go and you carry that knowledge that when you come to that dividing place and you don't know where to turn, there's one throne to bow down to. And it is to 
King Jesus, the Lord Almighty, eternal. Y'all stand with me and let's sing and let's worship God this morning. Lord, hear our praise and be enthroned high upon them. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Venice Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.